Hey everybody, uh, before we begin, this episode, as pretty much every episode of the Golf Guide podcast, is presented by golfguide.net. Save 20 to 70% on greens fees by going to golfguide.net. And when you do, use the promo code GGPODCAST and save 10% on any purchase of $25 or more. Once again, that's promo code GGPODCAST at golfguide.net. And also, new episode, or I should say new episode, this is the new episode. A new issue of Golf Guide magazine is now available at a golf course near you. A full directory of every golf course in California, Nevada, and Oregon with some information on every single one. So pick yourself up a copy. It doesn't cost you a dime. You just got to be at the golf course, which is pretty much where you should be anyway. So without any further delay, let's get back into it with another episode of the Golf Guide podcast. All right, we're going to jump right into a uh, couple of news items for you today. Um, you know, I got to give a shout out to my boy Andy, uh, who texted me last week. He said he was enjoying the podcast, and I, I told him that we'd be coming back this week with a uh, one of our, you know, our, our in-house attorneys to kind of discuss the legal implications of legalized golf gambling in California. But due to some logistical snafus, I uh, wasn't able to get in touch with uh, with Case. Uh, and so I'm actually going to reach out, you know, to another attorney friend of mine and see if we can't get them on here and get that back to you next week. So apologies, Andy, but hey, hope you appreciate the shout out, brother. All right, let's get into a little bit of news here. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's Thursday. We're coming at you with a day late. I was actually out uh, playing golf all day yesterday at a really, really awesome golf course that I'm going to discuss a little bit more later in the podcast. So that is why we are publishing this a day later than normal. Hopefully it doesn't throw your entire schedule into it just a a tailspin of, of sorts. So uh, um, I did want to address some of the items, though, from last weekend's golf tournament. Obviously, being Thursday, the Fort Worth tournament at Colonial has already begun as I'm recording this podcast. Um, but, you know, a couple items from last weekend's tournament at Trinity Forest. Uh, I talked last week about how the minimalism, you know, architecture community was really just so unbelievably amped for the debut of a modern, minimalist architecture course to be played in the PGA Tour. And there were certainly some mixed uh, reactions from players, uh, journalists, and, and pr- pretty much everybody had a different take. And I just wanted to go over a couple little items that uh, I had from the tournament. I thought it was good that Jordan Spieth had some positive comments about the golf course. You know, a lot of people were crushing it, saying that, you know, it, it you know, was slow pace of play, which means it must not be a very good golf course. And... Uh, you know, I think it was Alan Shipnuck that may have pointed out, you know, PGA Tour players, you know, on almost every other stop on the PGA Tour schedule, they are used to just playing absolutely boring golf. Like the kind of boring golf that we all wish that we could play because they get a number, they have an exact yardage, they have pick a spot, and they go bam, 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 station to station. And there's not really a ton of creativity um, for the pros until you get around the greens for the most part. And this golf course... Um, force players to get creative and think of different shots hit shots they normally wouldn't hit on tour pretty much from tee all the way to the green and because it wasn't just a simple matter of calculating their yardage and then going and hitting you know hitting their shot then walking and doing it all over again on the next shot I think that led to some pretty slow pace of play because these tour players for you know for how good they are um you know 
they might be uh you know they might be a little simple you know in, t- in terms of their uh the way they think strategy and stuff like that when they're out on the golf course so I-, I think that was a big reason for the pace of play snafus for the first couple rounds so I-, I i think as the tournament goes back to trinity forest that will improve quite a bit um you know jeff ogle jeff ogilvy who actually is a noted golf course architect and had a tremendous podcast on the friday a couple of weeks ago that i recommend all of you go and uh take a listen to but uh jeff shackelford um you know i I read his stuff all the time he's one of the best journalists in golf um and he had a problem with uh, a gentleman by the name of gary van sickles article that he wrote about how minimalism courses cost more to maintain uh he debunked that pretty thoroughly you can read about uh you can read that little tidbit on jeffshackelford.com but it's just a it's just a bunch of bs like it's crazy that a golf course with less bunkers and that doesn't need to get raked and manicured perfectly every day. Someone, you know, someone can somehow argue that, you know, uh, <laughs> that those old courses that they're normally playing somehow cost less. It again, it it hurts my brain to kind of think of. So uh, anyway, that guy's full of shit. So don't listen to anything Gary Van Sickle was saying uh, on his article on MorningRead.com. Uh, and finally, you know, and, and some other people were talking about how uh, the tournament didn't look great on television. I would disagree. I, I think it looked great, but I can understand how some people thought that maybe because of, you know, there weren't defined lines, right, that go from fairway to the rough, you know, to the first cut, to the second cuff. I mean, the, the courses they normally play are set up to look good on TV, whereas the course at Trinity Forest was set up to play well and be very interesting for the guys actually participating in the tournament. And, uh, you know, some people noted it looked bad on TV. Well, again, Alan Shipnuck pointed out, you know what course looks worse on TV than any other course that the pros play? St. Andrews, the home of golf. And I, I, I don't think you'd find anybody that would disagree with the fact that St. Andrews is perhaps one of the finest golf courses, not only in the world to play, but certainly to watch the pros uh, go head-to-head on in a tournament setting. So, all in all, I thought the, you know, the tournament at Trinity Forest was really fun. Uh, you know, I watched quite a bit of it. Aaron Wise just put on an absolute stripe show. I mean, that guy was just, I mean, he was really crushing it uh, until he just got denied by his girlfriend on, on national TV and has since just been a, a darling of tabloids across the country. It's, uh, you know, he, he, I think he came back. I saw an article on Golf Digest and Golf.com where he was talking about, oh, you know, like everything went so well this week. If that was the only thing that went wrong, you know, me getting friend zoned on national TV by my girlfriend. Um you know, he's like, oh, and also she wasn't, you know, she just didn't know what was going on. It's like, hey, bro, come on. I mean, really the best thing to do is just own it, which he kind of did, but it's like, man, that just did not look good. I mean, get that guy a Listerine strip or something because she just wasn't interested. I mean, not much more you can say about that. All right, let's continue with the news. Uh, A couple of items on the United States Open presented by the United States Golf Association. Um, Media Day was this past week, so if you're a social media type of guy or gal, uh, you probably noticed a lot of members of the national media posting all kinds of pictures of Shinnecock Hills. Um, course just looks so just devastatingly buttery. I mean, it it looks awesome. Uh, that is going to be a really, really fun golf tournament. I think we're just over three weeks away, so that is going to be really, um, really awesome. Although it is kind of interesting that, um, you know, some journalists were talking and have heard some... Uh, some rumors of some people uh, with the USGA that uh, starting in 2019, they are not stoked about uh, the PGA Championship moving to May. Uh, the USGA really likes having that little eight to nine week kind of buildup between the Masters to the US Open where, 
you know, golf fans are kind of getting starved for major championships all over again to the point where when the U.S. Open finally shows back up, um, people people are stoked. And I, I think some of the people at the USGA are worried that without that buildup, um, that it just won't be as treasured of a golf tournament. You know, I love golf, so I'm going to go ahead and disagree. But, you know, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, you know, the, U, the U.S. Open... I don't want to say it's lost some of its luster, but there is a contingent of people that are arguing that it has lost a little bit of its juice. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's it, it's due in part to a variety of factors. Um, you know, p- part of those factors is po- possibly the fact that the U.S. Open has gone to some Lynx-style modern courses that are really, really devoid of any championship history. And uh, you know, I'm referring to Chambers Bay and, and Aaron Hills and things like that. Um, and all, you know, and plus the, the, the setup has been a little different also due in part to those link style modern courses, but I, I don't think the U S open is, has lost its identity. And really with the next couple of years, the U S open is going to be contested at some absolutely awesome venues. And I think, uh, I, I think the U S open is going to be getting a little bit of its juice back here the last, you know, the next couple of years. So, um, uh, I would not worry about that. And, uh, we're going to have a preview, obviously an extensive preview of the U S open, that will not be just me uh, coming up here in the next few weeks since we are only, you know, we're less than a month away uh, from the U.S. Open at one of the country's top golf facilities at Shinnecock Hills. And then last uh, but not least item of news, I just thought this was interesting and just thought I'd share it with you. Uh, in the latest Ask Alan column on Golf.com where Alan Shipnuck answers people's questions, somebody asked him if he could uh, predict what the top five in the world golf rankings were going to be at the end of 2021 and I thought his list was fascinating. It was void of the current world number one, Justin Thomas. And I, I don't know, for, for some reason, his top five, I don't, uh, I think it's completely possible, but it just, I, I thought it was really interesting and worth sharing with all of you. So, um, Alan Shipnuck's 2021 official world golf rankings. At number five, he had Norman Zhang. Uh, number four, Tom Fleetwood. Number three, Dustin Johnson. Number two is the one that kind of surprised me the most, Bryson DeChambeau. Okay. And uh, number one, the Spaniard, John Rahm. So his list does not have any Justin Thomases. It does not have any Jordan Spieths. It doesn't have any Justin Roses. Um, yeah, so you know, he, he is predicting that really the only two guys from the top five right now that will still be there in a couple years' time is going to be John Rahm and Dustin Johnson. So... Thought that was kind of fun. It'll be actually interesting. I'm going to keep this little note here on my desk. And so uh, in two and a half years uh, from now, we're, we're going to see just how accurate that is. The Bryson DeChambeau one is certainly the most polarizing pick there. I mean, it's it's very possible to see him jumping up into that world top 10. But, man, it is it is equally possible to see that guy just falling flat on his face. Some people will probably be excited about that. You know, I, I say just let the man live. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly like him. But, you know, I mean, shit, the guy can get his game together. It'd be awesome to see a guy with that weird of, you know, a a philosophy in terms of his golf swing uh, do some big things. So I think that would be a lot of fun. And now for the second half of the podcast, um, I want to discuss a a little feature that I had brewing um, that might possibly be going up on golfguy.net in the coming week. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this after my round of golf yesterday at the Meadow Club. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the Meadow Club, it is Alistair McKenzie's first design in the United States. It is located in Marin County in the little hamlet of Fairfax. Um, and if you've ever been there before, you know that the first time you go there, it, it just seems impossible that there could be a golf course where it's located. I mean, it is up in the hills of western Marin County. I mean, terrain that just is completely unfit for a golf course. You're driving up these windy roads. You have these houses hanging on the sides of cliffs and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, you just come to this little opening in this little valley where it's just these perfect, seemingly 180 acres that, you. I mean, it's almost as if there was not a plot of land better suited for a golf course and of course surrounded by land that you could never build a golf course on in a million in a million years um and it was just so awesome the course itself is phenomenal it's always been one of my favorites i, I used to play it uh, back in high school as part of the marin catholic uh, tournament although every you know every year we played it in high school it was just dumping rain because i think we're playing it in march and um yeah i've had the pleasure now of playing the meadow club uh the past couple of years and it's just so wonderful, and I just wanted to let everybody know how awesome it is. Um, not not to like rub it in your face or anything like that, because I know that for many people it's difficult to get onto. Obviously, it is private. Um, but then I was thinking how you know there's so many clubs in the Bay Area that get so much love, especially from national publications. Um, you know, your San Francisco golf clubs, Cal clubs, Olympic clubs. Obviously, you know, hosted uh, several U.S. Opens. And I was trying to think about, hmm, what are some of like the best, you know, most underrated golf clubs in the Bay Area? Um, and, and not to say these are not the best, you know, these are not the best golf courses, these are not the best clubs, but the ones that deserve to get mentioned more often that seemingly don't. Um, and, and Meadow Club is the one that just really, bam, really popped out to me because, you know, if I had the means to be a member at a private club, um, yeah, Meadow Club would be pretty, pretty damn close to the top of the list. I mean, it, it's really, it really is that good. Um, I mean, the, the course itself, it, it's so playable over and over and over again. The greens are fascinating and challenging, and uh, certainly if you were to play them day in and day out, you know, you'd probably have some different looks every single day. And of course, you know, the, the course is just kept in absolutely spectacular condition. Um, so I mean, for, for all those reasons, uh, Meadow club, I certainly think is probably the most underrated club, certainly in uh, Marin County. And, you know, I, definitely one of the most underrated golf clubs in the San Francisco Bay area. So I actually just wanted to kind of quickly go through my list. Uh, I have all the counties that I consider to be part of the San Francisco Bay area, Sonoma, Marin, Solano, Alameda, Contra Costa, Napa, San Mateo, and Santa Clara. Um, I'm not including San Francisco because, you know, technically speaking, in the county of San Francisco, there really is only three private clubs, and they're the ones that I already mentioned to you, and they're probably, you know, they're the most well-known of all the private clubs in the San Francisco Bay Area, and again, I'll, I'll say one more time, San Francisco Golf Club, you know, Tillinghouse Design, uh, Olympic Club, you know, of U.S. Open fame, Willie Watson Design, and of course, uh, Cal Club, which is technically, I guess, in San Mateo County. Um, but in the last couple of years, it, it's been getting a lot of love nationally and deservedly so. It's uh, uh, I, I've never actually had the pleasure of playing there. I've been there, uh, and it obviously you know seems like it deserves every bit of credit that is bestowed upon it. But I just wanted to go through county by county and just kind of give you my pick as to what I think is probably the most underrated club in each county, and one that I would you know encourage all of you guys to if you ever have access. 
uh, to get onto to really take advantage of it because these courses are just so awesome and certainly deserve a little bit more praise than it, seem, it seems like they get. And that's why I'm here. I am here to make sure that I shine a light on the dark, the dark, you know, I guess depths of the Bay Area that is expensive private club golf. So <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll start off with my uh, my home up in Sonoma County. You know, certainly Mayakama is uh, the most well-known private club up there. It's in the Golf Digest Top 100, but that would not fit the bill for underrated. Um, so you certainly have to go. Sonoma Golf Club is great. But really, the most underrated club in Sonoma County is probably Petaluma Golf and Country Club, a nine-hole private course set in the hills of South Petaluma. Uh, I played a couple tournaments there as a junior golfer, and I always had an absolutely fantastic time. Really, really fun, fun nine holes of golf. So oddly enough, for the uh, my favorite private, you know, club in Sonoma County uh, that you know that seems like it needs a little bit more love, Petaluma Golf and Country Club. You're right there. Um, obviously, Marin. Meadow Club, that, that, that that's going to be my pick. That's kind of what started this whole thing. If we're going to stay in the northern quadrant of the Bay Area, uh, we jump over to Solano County and Napa County. Um, Napa, you know, Napa has Silverado. I wouldn't call it underrated. It hosts a PGA Tour event. But right down the street is Napa Valley Country Club. And Napa Valley is quirky. It's fun. It's in great shape. Um, as far as a club goes, it's got a, you know, a, a really, really... Um, strong tennis program so if you're into the whole you know plethora of country club sports uh napa valley country club is awesome i mean just driving in there you kind of drive along i believe it's the 18th hole it's just this crazy uphill dog leg left that has I, I i kid you not like a 90 degree turn to the left but it's not, it's not hokey when you hear about course you know holes that that turn 90 degrees it's like oh that seems kind of silly and somehow it just manages to be charming. Um, so Napa Valley Country Club, probably my pick for the most underrated course, uh, underrated private club uh, in Napa. And then certainly in Solano County, it's got to be Green Valley Country Club. If for no other reason than it is, uh, it's the only private club in Solano County. <laughs> uh, also, you know, full disclaimer, obviously Green Valley, um, we, we've had events there before. We have a good working relationship uh, with their staff. And uh, so, I mean, you could take my, you know, my, my sentiments with a grain of salt, but uh, Green Valley is a ton of fun. Awesome bocce courts, awesome tennis program, awesome swimming, um, you know, swim house and a pool house. And, and But just as far as clubs go that offer the whole kit and caboodle, Green Valley is is really, really awesome. If I uh, if I was a family man and I had myself a, a couple of kiddos, that, that would actually probably be one of the first places that I would want to join. Um, very, very cool. Not just golf only, but a real great country club experience um, on the whole. If we jump over to the East Bay, um, you know, obviously two of the best private courses uh, in Alameda County are certainly going to be Claremont and uh, the courses at Castlewood, uh, both, you know, architecturally significant. But we're, we're not here to talk about just flat out the best. The most underrated one has got to be Sequoia. Uh, Sequoia Golf Club, Sequoia Country Club, uh, also in the hills kind of above East Oakland. Man, it is so buttery. It is understated. It's in great shape. Um, it, it does, it, and it's, it's got its own very cool, unique little vibe to it. Um, again, it's one of those courses where it's tough for me to endorse it a hundred percent based on the fact that I've never actually played it, but I've been to the facility several times. I've met some of the staff members there, talked to a couple members. They love it. It, it just seems like a really awesome golf course. And, uh, it, it just needed a little bit of love in my opinion, uh, that it probably wasn't getting. 
Uh, let's now move on to Contra Costa County. And Contra Costa County is wild because in Alameda, surprisingly enough, being in the East Bay and a big population center, uh, you know, unlike the San Francisco Peninsula, which see, has a lot more private clubs than public, Alameda County also has a ton of public golf with very little private, um, you know, comparatively speaking. When I, I mentioned Claremont, Sequoia, and Cottonwood, where Contra Costa County uh, has just a bevy of private golf clubs with not that many public courses. Um, but of all those private courses, the ones that I, the one that I think probably deserves the most love, and I wanted to make sure that people know about if they do get a chance to play it, is the recently renovated Orinda Country Club. Uh, you know, our guest of the podcast earlier this year, Brett Hochstein. Uh, obviously, if you listen to it, you know Brett's a tremendously nice guy, a very hard worker, a very, very knowledgeable guy. Not only when it comes to architecture, because that's his profession. Um, but but on a bevy of other topics, and uh, he was part of that crew that went and redid Orinda Country Club in the past couple of years, and it just looks so awesome. And when I was actually playing Meadow Club yesterday, I was playing with a member uh, of Orinda Country Club who's kind of giving me the breakdown on how the membership is approaching the new um, the new course. I mean, with tiny, tiny, tiny little greens, but everything surrounding the green is mowed real tight so people can putt from off the greens. It's up and down, and it's just all kinds of elevation change, and yet somehow managed to be very, very walkable. Uh, he was saying that you know probably almost 70% of the membership at Orinda Country Club walks uh, versus riding in carts, which you know, you know me. You know, but when I hear that golfers love to walk, it's you know I get a little excited in the areas of my body that I probably shouldn't be. But hey, you know what can I say? I'm a strange guy. Um, Orinda Country Club, really, really cool. They need a little shout out. And uh, again, I told you I'm not going to be doing San Francisco, so let's jump to the Peninsula and the South Bay. For the Peninsula, and, and this is another one, and you know, as a Alistair McKenzie fanboy, I'm sure that this is going to come as no surprise to anybody, but it's got to be Green Hills Country Club. Um, you know, of all the 18-hole Alistair McKenzie designs in the Bay Area, for whatever reason, it, it seems like Green Hills gets mentioned less than any other golf course, um, or I should say, of those Alistair McKenzie designs. You know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Green Hills is as good as Pasatiempo or, you know, maybe not as good as Meadow Club, but holy shit, man, it is not far off. I mean, if, if Meadow Club, you know, if Meadow Club's like a 9.5 out of 10 and Pasatiempo's like a 10 out of 10, Cypress Point is a 10 out of 10, and Cypress might be a 10.5, maybe 11, Green Hills is like a 9. It's like a 9 and a quarter. Like, Green Hills is so good as a golf course. Um, that it, it just baffles my mind that when a lot of people come to the San Francisco Bay Area, they're like, oh, what's a fun course that I can go play? You know what? Maybe I'll call my head pro, see if I can do a reciprocal. Um, you should be going to Green Hills. It is so buttery. I, I mean, the course, obviously, it, it you know, the bunkering, you know, it, it just screams McKenzie to you. The layout is fascinating. You get back-to-back par fives right at the beginning of your round on two and three. It's quirky. It's fun. It's on a fascinating piece of land. Um, and I just think it deserves way more love uh, than it gets, especially from a national perspective. So Green Hills Country Club, keep up the good work. Um, the one time that I went out and played Green Hills, I, I got to play with a member who's just one of the coolest guys. Dan, shout out to you, man. You know, we're just out there uh, pretty much just crushing beers and, and just appreciating how wonderful the golf course was. And it, it was a really, really good time. And I'm all, you know, I'm already looking forward to the next time I get an opportunity to get out to Green Hills because that place is seriously seriously special and finally uh if we make our way all the way down to the south bay area for the county of santa clara um 
I, I know this one may seem a little odd, and, and there's a lot of private golf and a lot of good private golf, um, but if I have to go with underrated, the one that I feel <laughs> just for some, just deserves more love, and it's it's not even private in the uh, traditional sense, but god damn, if you guys ever get a chance to go play the golf course at Stanford University, do not pass up on that opportunity. Stanford's golf course is sensational. It is so good. It occupies all these cool little pieces of the property right next to campus. I mean, you're the drop tee shot where you're dropping down 100 feet off number one, you're hitting it over the road, down to that little kind of area where then you have a couple holes there, and then the back nine finishing back behind the clubhouse on this beautiful piece of the property with all these wonderful trees. Just everything about Stanford's golf course is amazing, and that's not even including the insane practice facility that Jay Blasey uh, designed for you know the men's and women's teams that, you know, Pretty much, you don't have access to unless you're a friend, you know, a friend of Jay, or you're actually on one of those golf teams. But Stanford's golf course is just so awesome. Wanted to give them a shout out. If you ever have a chance to play a tournament there or get invited there by an alumni or something like that, don't be an idiot. Accept their invitation and check it out for yourself because it is sensational. So, with that uh, all being said, I think I may pen uh, put that, you know, put that on. Uh, the proverbial paper and uh, type it in and, and have something along those lines released on golfguide.net uh, with some of my underrated private club picks for the Bay Area here in the next week or two. Uh, but until then, that's it for a very you know abbreviated uh, episode of the Golf Guide podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. I'm sorry that we came out uh, a day late. Hopefully it is not going to uh, inhibit your enjoyment of the podcast. Once again, if you haven't uh, done so already, go to golfguide.net, use the promo code GGPodcast. That again, that is G as in golf, G as in guide, podcast, GG podcast for a promo code, save 10% on all purchases of $25 or more. And don't forget to pick up the newest issue of Golf Guide magazine at a golf course or golf store near you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will be back next week. See you later.